This video is sponsored by Game Toppers. Turn your own kitchen or dining room table into a premium portable game solution at a fraction of the cost. Hey everybody, uh, welcome to kind of an intermission video in my What Happened To series. Uh, so I've been going through all the most anticipated lists on Board Game Geek starting with 2010. I'm up to 2014. We're going to go all the way to 2019. So I'm halfway through the list and I thought, uh, and I mentioned this in the last couple of videos that I will go through and kind of take a kind of a general step back and look at them because I've been looking at them like individually at each of the games on the list and kind of talking about them here and there. But I wanted to kind of just take a little step back, talk about some trends or some general thoughts that we've seen with these lists. Um, because the lists, I think, are important, which I have not even talked about yet, because it shows what at least the folks on Board Game Geek are interested in. So, you know, not knowing anything else really about the game other than like the designer, the publisher, the theme, you know, maybe some inkling about the mechanics, you know, what would get, what gets people excited. And I thought that was kind of an interesting thing because it's, it's more of a reflection of what's become before because I'm anticipating, you know, something coming out in 2023, what happens, but why am I anticipating it? Because of stuff that comes before, because this is either looks like something really different and new, or it looks like some more of the same, or it has a designer I like, or it has a publisher I like, or there's something about it that all of my past references are helping inform my anticipation, right? So whether it's different or the same, it's, you're still being informed by that. So one thing I wanted to mention before we cover, I got a couple of notes to go through, but I still have Glory to Rome, and I still have uh, Urban Sprawl. Uh, and from those first five years of anticipated lists. So out of those roughly 60 games or so, um, no more than that, roughly, well, because there's some repeats. So let's say 80 to 90 games, um, I have two <laughs> out of those anticipated lists out of all of those five years. So I don't know what that means exactly, but that's just, you know, just a data point. So I'd be curious, you know, what, how many games do you have, you know, from those those lists there? Uh, so one thing to note is, I, in, in, to kind of this, to this point, is how long does a game really, really last? Um, because, and I would use this as an example, um, Forbidden Island. Uh, I really love that game. I don't own it anymore. It's a great little solo game, great with the family. I played it with the gamer group too. It's it's a nice, quick, fillery type of game, but it, it has a lot of good, you know, head scratching decision making that uh, exists in the game. But I played it, I've lost count. Not 50 times, but close. Like, you know, at least 30, 40 times in there somewhere. I played a lot. And I don't need to play it anymore. And how much do I need to play a game to have gotten my worth out of it or whatever? I'm not talking about dollar amount either. It's like, you know, and I started thinking, a lot of people really hold on to games. And I, I see that. And I do not. Now, granted, I get sent a lot of stuff for free. And so I have a limited storage capacity to hold the game. So I can't just have a pile of junk off to the side because that's disrespectful to the game, first of all, in a way. And so better to let it move on to somebody else and they can enjoy it and they can pass it along to somebody else as well. Um, and so I'm wondering, like, do these games really, really last? Or, And I'm not trying to like psychoanalyze like the general people in the hobby. But I think a lot of times people hold on to things in, in, in a way that's like clutter, you know, in a way. And even what I've got here, and I, I you know, I trim stuff pretty constantly. I get, I get guff about it with my group. They're like, wasn't that on your top 10 list like two years ago? I'm like, yeah, I don't have room. <laughs> Leave me alone, you know? And it's like, 
and it's also like I am not a very sentimental person and so I'm like very much like bye you know like it's I'm really no disrespect to the game or you know I didn't like enjoy this game any less I don't appreciate it any less because it's not on my shelf like I appreciate it and I it's not getting played it and it's just going to sit in neglect and so let it let it go to somebody else that is going to get what they can out of it and then the game can go and move on its life it's like if you have kids they leave when it's 18 you know or something around that and so that's good that's okay um you can't just hang on to them forever as much as you might want to uh so i think that's okay doesn't 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 it because it's on my shelf has nothing to do with the quality of the game and i see this a lot where it's like this game comes out and like i can only get five plays out of it i can only get you know eight plays out of it good the game did its job <laughs> like what do you want to have to sit there forever you know <laughs> you are not going to play um, my wife always tells me this. she's like you've got like 100 some games there are not enough days in the week uh for you to play all of those throughout the year and i 100 you are correct and i feel the same way about that um and so i've trimmed down a little bit i could honestly trim down more you know i could cut this shelf in half and realistically have more than enough game to keep me going so i, I that went a little, a little bit longer on that than i intended to but i thought it was interesting to kind of take a look back See all these cool games that people are excited about. Some of them are still going strong today. And I know many people probably hold on to them and they don't need to, you know? So there's that. Uh, so the next uh, item on my notes is uh, kind of two things. One, I would say war games, uh, GMT games, lock and load games, stuff like that, and Fantasy Flight. Um, you have seen kind of that war game disappear, the political game, the car-driven game, uh, like Founding Fathers, Virgin Queen. The last, I think, two years, I don't think had any on there really, um, and I and I, I would predict moving forward we'll see less of that as well. And those games are definitely in the minority. I think it's very much a niche hobby. It's a part of the hobby that I enjoy to a certain degree. I, you know, uh, there's definitely people that are out there that play war games, uh, you know, a lot more than me. Uh, as far as YouTubers go, you know, Marco Ronaldo, who I still will watch and watch his reviews of war games, even though I'm like, well, I'll never play this, but you know, I'm interested to how these games kind of work sometimes. So I'll watch his videos in that regard. Um, uh, but um, you, you kind of see that going away. The hobby is getting bigger in a lot of ways. I mean, we've all seen that over the last 10 or 15 years. And so I think in a way it's kind of drowning out some of that stuff. Some of the 18XX and the war games and stuff, they're getting a little bit drowned out. And only through the prism of board game geek, right? Um, generally a lot of these people probably aren't introduced to it. So if they came into the hobby through, I don't know, critical role or tabletop or whatever, um, it, it's going to be a little while before they get to being exposed to something like a twilight struggle or an 18 XX game or com combat commander or something. So back in the day, you know, in the late 2000s, the 20 aughts or whatever, early 2010s, those, had a more visible presence, the war games and stuff like that. So we have seen those disappear a little bit. Now it's still being made, it's still being played. And as we add more people to the hobby, by osmosis, some of them are going to, you know, find out about war games. So even though the percentage maybe even has gone down of the people that play those, there's still the larger pool of players is, is growing larger. So there's still room for these things, of course. Um, but it's just interesting, you know to see that go the, the, the dynamics of those demographics is kind of interesting and I'm, a lot of that speculation so the other part is the fantasy flight and 
and uh, this is something I think has been talked about a lot, is back then, he's was like, one of these lists, I can't remember what year it was, was, like four or five games on it were Fantasy Flight games, whether it was a reprint of Nexus Ops or New Descent or, um, you know, anything like that. So, and there were these big, huge games a lot of times with, you know, miniatures and like Horse Heresy was in the first video in 2010, which is just like this way over the top, tons of plastic. It's a two-player only game. Um, like who would make that now? Who would make like a two-player only game about this one very specific battle in, you know, the 40K lore? Now, granted, 40K has some weight with it and, and some penetration that way because it's 40K is kind of its own a little hobby, kind of parallel to board gaming. Um, but you don't really see that, I don't think, anymore. I mean, I know, we don't see those big, crazy games, those coffin boxes and those those big splash releases from Fantasy Flight. They just really haven't been doing that. And so that just seeing that in stark contrast, how that company sort of changed. And I don't know how much money they made off those. Um not that money is all the important things in the world, but I mean, on the print run of Horse Heresy, did they make enough, you know, to, obviously probably not, to make another game like that in that same vein. Um, yeah, so that, that's been interesting to kind of see that transition in the war games and also in Fantasy Flight and their, and their transition, um, you know, even today. So we're going to see over the next five years how, the, how these two things play out over the next couple of weeks. And the next note I have here... Um, and I think we're going to see more of this in the next five years. I'm almost sure we will. But towards the end of this, in the 2013-2014 video, you start to see some of the Kickstarters show up on the most anticipated list. And some of that, I feel like, is probably driven by the publishers of the Kickstarters themselves who are savvy enough to run their Kickstarters at a certain time of year and tell their backers to go and vote for... Uh, most anticipated list or after the Kickstarter's run, they'll go and tell them, hey, you know, hey, we're nominated for the most anticipated game of the year. And then they'll, you know, if they've got a thousand backers, there's a lot of people that maybe go and, and, and vote on that as anticipated. So I think that's, it's fine. Like it's legal. <laughs> Nothing illegal about it, but I don't like that. And I don't know that any of the games on the, on the last two lists are like that, but I'm sure, God, I know there was some of that. Um, you know, and just by the natural fact, it doesn't even take the publisher themselves doing it. Like it doesn't have to be, you know, I don't know, nefarious is the right word. It doesn't have to be nefarious. It could take a backer who is subscribed to the page on BoardGameGeek, just making a post there because a lot of people, I think, that are backing a Kickstarter will follow the game on the BoardGameGeek page. And so you just make a post there and go there and generate that, you know. And so that doesn't, you know, it's no different than like, let's say, GMT or Fantasy Flight or whoever has a newsletter, you know, that goes out, let's say, every month, an email newsletter, and they tell people, hey, we're nominated on this list, go vote for it. I mean, what are you supposed to do? As a publisher, you should be doing that. That is your job to market your game. Um, so, but it's, from my perspective, it throws the indicator off of a little bit of anticipation. Like, what's real anticipation there? So what is really making you excited other than you have a little bit of a stake in it because you backed it and now you want to see it do well, which is a whole other thing about bias and reviews. I mean, there's a comment. I've seen this comment made. It's not my comment, although I kind of agree with it. Like a reviewer getting a review copy is much less biased than a Kickstarter backer <laughs> because a reviewer is not like invested. Kickstarter backer who dropped three or 400 bucks 
they're like, this game is great. They're like, no, sorry, it's not. <laughs> I know you spent 400 bucks, but it's not good. Um, so there's some of that. There's that dynamic in there. I'm not trying to like, you know, point it out or anything. I don't really have any harsh feelings towards any of this, but it's just something you have to kind of be aware of and absorb that into your, you know, assessment of it. And so you've seen that here. And the other thing kind of coinciding with this kind of beginning of the Kickstarters is kind of the micro game thing. I think in the last one we saw Coinage, which is like this game with coins and one credit card size card that you played the whole game on. And so you see this sort of trend now of that. And I think it's interesting because the way the hobby has worked, I think going back to the 70s, is somebody will do something, and this is the way a lot of things work. Somebody will do something, it's successful, and so you get copycats. You get people trying to iterate on that. So let's look at Dominion. Dominion come out 2008, 2009. First deck builder, boom, big splash. Thunderstone comes out, eh, pretty much the same game, but a fantasy theme. Ascension comes out, same kind of idea, but you know it's kind of different. It's a, It's got a... Um, an ever-changing card pool that you draft from instead of fixed card pools that you set up prior to the game. And so on and on and on, you know, we have more iterations on that. And so some of that is healthy, I think, in the case of like Dominion to Ascension, for example. I found that a particularly healthy innovation on something that's been established. And Dominion, in a lot of ways, is kind of, a, you know, an iteration of Magic the Gathering, sort of. I mean, I think it's a bigger break, you know, but... Um, and then you saw, you know, worker placement games come out, Kalos, Agricola, you saw a lot more. I think at this time, we're starting to see some of this mm, copy not driven by design, but driven by marketing, you know, in a way where it's like, okay, these buzzwords worked. So let me grab that and cook something together and then go to the, my designers, people that I know and say, hey, I want a game that does this, this, and this, you know, it's a micro game. It's, um, it's, uh, it's got an app or it's got this or it's got that. So you're going to see some of that as well. Now that is not to, it's again, it, there's nuance here, but that's not to say it's all sinister. It's all like marketing cash grab. I don't think that's it because I think 90% of the publishers and designers go in it with the full intention of making something that's good and will last and have longevity and people will get their joy out of hundred percent. But I think that marketing part creeps and starts to creep in more. I think it's, it, you start to, you just, I don't think, I don't think you can deny it. I'd have to sit down and analyze it. This has just been, you know, somebody that's been loosely in the hobby since 2004, let's say, well, earlier than that, actually. Um, early in the aughts, when I started playing Catan and Lonehurst and Carcassonne and Magic and stuff and then getting really into it around 2004 or 5 and then not so much and then really obviously you have a youtube channel you know around 2010 11 somebody that's been seeing this stuff it's hard to check your own bias sometimes but i see that marketing angle like a lot more i mean i don't know if it's just because i'm like reading press releases now you know it's like, but i don't know i don't think it's that important because I think the games are going to be good or they're not at the end of the day, and the ones that are good are going to last. Um, but we already talked about how long should a game last at the beginning of the video. So just some stuff to kind of you know keep in mind. Okay, so two kind of last sort of points or observations that I have. Uh, one is that uh, I didn't expect this, although I should, probably should have, is that uh, a lot of times 
expansions will show up on these anticipated lists. And that kind of says something to the kind of known quantity because they're you know, a brand new game from a new designer or a new publisher or new theme or something. You don't really know what to expect, so it's hard to get in, you know excited about it. But if there's an expansion for Descent or Mansions of Madness or Battlestar Galactica or something like that, some other fantasy flight game, <laughs> all three of those examples, um, it's a known quantity, known something that you like, like a Dominion expansion showed up, Seven Wonders expansion showed up. Uh, so it's easier to get excited about something that is going to theoretically improve something that you already enjoy. Uh, so that's, I just, you know, I didn't even think of that and I probably should have, but, uh, um, yeah, so that was an interesting sort of observation. And the other part was there was a fair number of games that had a lot of trouble, whether it was licensing trouble, like Glory to Rome, Nothing Personal, uh, Alien Frontiers, or other kind of Kickstarter shenanigans like D-Day Dice and um, uh, the upfront you know, reprint and stuff like that. So there was a fair amount of kind of turmoil kind of back in the last couple of years, like 2012, 13, 14, that I'd forgotten about. And, you know, didn't really expect to see on here, especially because, you know, going into looking at the most anticipated list, you know, I'm not really thinking about that. I'm more thinking about sort of the um, you know, the psychology of the anticipation and all that kind of stuff, which I mentioned at the beginning of the video. But yeah, so there was some interesting sort of look back there with, you know, some of these publishers and some of these folks that are involved, uh, especially, and they all kind of have to do revolve around Kickstarter in a lot of ways, you know, like Glory to Rome, Alien Frontiers. Um, I don't think nothing personal was on Kickstarter, um, but, uh, you know, some of the other ones there I mentioned up front, all mostly crowdfunding uh, related things. Uh, and so the crowdfunding, we're going to see more of that for sure moving forward in the years, but it was also kind of still like the Wild West back then. A lot of people were trying to figure it out. Um, and I think over time, people have, to a certain degree, figured it out. Even new games, new publishers, new designers, there's been so much of a track record uh, now at this point in established, you know, behavior and uh, cadence and everything with your stretch goals and all that stuff and how your project runs and all that stuff, that there's an example of what to follow and what to do and what not to do at this point. But back then, it was still kind of the Wild West, you know, and I kind of, you kind of forget that sometimes, you know, back then it was like Kickstarter was still really new and fresh and it wasn't kind of the establishment thing that it is now. I mean, a lot of ways Kickstarter is, it's not a publisher, but it's an established channel, an established vehicle for games. Um, and now there's, there's other competitors, GameFound, um, there's the new one that just come out, uh, Backer, not Backer Kit, I don't know, the new Dark Tower expansion was on it. Some other things, Frosthaven stuff is going to be on there, Frosthaven miniatures, some other things. So there's some other competitors and stuff like that to Kickstarter. So the whole crowdfunding thing is very much mainstream now, uh, which back then it was still kind of you know experimental in the, in the Wild West. Okay, so that's all the kind of the thoughts and notes that I have. And so any thoughts and feedback you you have, and maybe some I missed, or you know comments on some of the things I talked about at the beginning of the video, uh, let me know. So next week we'll jump back into 2015. Thanks.